You know, Jesus asks a very simple question in verse 12. He says, there's a hundred sheep you have. One goes missing. Obviously, all right, 99 is left. You would go and find the one, right? And he meant it as a rhetorical question, but I think it's interesting. Uh, just to dig a little deeper, maybe with the person next to you. Would you? If you were in that situation, you have a hundred, you lose one, would you leave the 99 to go follow the one? I want you to share with the person next to you. Would you do that, and why or why not? Go ahead. Is it a tough question? <laughs> yes, no, maybe, I'm not sure. Uh, anyone like to volunteer and answer? I just, anyone want to be a little bold? A lot of people avoiding eye contact. Um, I'm going to maybe just ask Daniel. Uh, he's our drummer. Let's give Daniel a hand. He's serving here. Um, if you had 100 sheep, yeah, you were a good shepherd. Like, would you leave the 99 and go after the one? Can you plead the fifth? Um, <laughs> yes, you can. All right. Um, okay, maybe this is not going like I had planned, and so I'll just kind of interject. Um, maybe some of you are like, no, I wouldn't. Right? And actually what Jesus is rhetorically asking is very scandalous because no shepherd in that time would leave the 99 for the one. They wouldn't. Why? Because they are financially tied to these sheep. So if you lose 99, what Jesus is saying is you are risking bankruptcy to go follow this one. Does that make sense? So no shepherd in that time would be like, Jesus, you're right. Let's go for the one. No, you stay with the 99, right? This is why it's shocking to the crowd that's listening. But this is where it's very profound. Because what Jesus is saying is, your answer will depend on how much you value that one missing sheep. For example, when I was in college, me and my roommates, we did this thousand-piece puzzle. We finished it, but we had two pieces missing. How many of you, that would just bother the heck out of you, right? Uh, you know, it would kind of bother me, but it bothered me for about 15 minutes. We're looking around, ah, I can't find it. So you just move on. While, I remember there's a time when I lost my wedding ring, okay? Uh, this is my second uh, wedding ring. <laughs> and during my first year, I, you know, I, I still to this day, when I work out or play basketball, I take my ring off. And so I usually put it in kind of a very similar spot, but that, I don't know why, it was the first year of my marriage, and I just, I could not find it. And because I value that more than two missing puzzle pieces, I was looking frantically for it. Not because it was expensive, because I didn't, you know, I spent, I don't know, not a lot, okay? But the, the meaning and the value that it had, that I would search for it. But, you know, actually more than that, I valued, when I remember we were in our youth group, we were at a harvest crusade, and we lost one of the kids. And Pastor Steve remembers this, and uh, it's gone. Right? Like, what happened? 
right? Now, there are like 4,000 Christians. Luckily, they're Christians, so we're not as worried, right? Like, or they just became Christians. So we're like, hey, you know what? Well, we just got to find them. But frantically, right, for, for like hours, you're looking for this kid. And then finally, we found him, and he's like, hey! And we're like, hey! <laughs> like, why'd you go wandering? And, you know, but your value, because we value that kid more than a wedding ring, and you value that more than a puzzle piece, your passion, determination, pursuit, is dependent upon how much you value that missing one. You see, what Jesus is doing here is he's not teaching shepherding one-on-one. That's not what he's doing. He's teaching you his heart. And what he's teaching everyone that's listening is saying, I value that one sheep so much that me being the good shepherd, Jesus, I run after that missing sheep. And now the listeners, they're intrigued because this is so countercultural. And this is, and this should blow your mind. Jesus would pursue that missing sheep even when he knows that sheep is the, excuse my language, the stupid one, the foolish one, the one that would separate themselves from the pack. Biblically speaking, they are the sinful one, the enemy of God that would look at God and curse them. God values that sheep, that lost sheep, so much that he would leave the 99 and pursue passionately with determination that lost sheep. That's good news, no? Amen? Maybe you heard it already, so maybe you're not as passionate. I mean, that's good news, amen? Because that lost sheep is each and every one of us before Christ. That's why that's good news. Because all of us, apart from Christ, we are lost. We are broken. We are sinful. We are in need of a Savior. We are that lost sheep. That's why it's good news. That God would accept the most far away sheep, the most lost one. God still pursues you. And you might think like, hey, Pastor John, if, if God knew everything about me and all the stuff that I've done, he would never love me. No, he knows everything. And he still values and he loves you. I know this is cheesy, but I like doing this once in a while. I like to turn to your neighbor and just say, hey, you are the lost sheep. Can you do that? Like, you are the lost sheep. Like, you are. But there's good news, all right? Turn to the neighbor and just say, but God still loves you. I know you're like, so cheesy, Pastor Why do you make us do stuff like that, man? But, but, you know, you grow up in the church, and sometimes it doesn't hit home. You think you're like you're all put together. I think I'm all put together. But that's not our story. That's not. Look, if you look, I, I want to just share a few verses, all right? <clears throat> he knows everything about us, and yet he still values us. It's, it's just mind-blowing. Psalm 69.5 says this, O God, you know my folly. The wrongs I have done are not hidden from you. Hebrews 4, 13 through 16, it says this. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. God knows us. We are broken, sinful. We must give an account. But that's the end of the story, right? If you read on, verse 14 says this, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, 
Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Why? Because we're all the smart sheep? We're the sheep that can say, hey, look at that. We listen, God. We're not like that dumb sheep. No. We can draw with confidence that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And we are all in need of Jesus. I have two daughters, and, uh, you know, they had to learn to walk. And if you've had children, you know that, right? They all do the kind of the similar thing. They start to crawl, and then one day they stand to stand up. And you're like, whoa. And they kind of wobble along, and they fall, and they do the whole thing. And sometimes it takes longer for one child. Like Maddie, she kind of stood up and all of a sudden started walking. And I was like, what the? But she would still fall. Now, how ridiculous would it be if I'm the father, and I see them stumble and fall, and all of a sudden I look at them and say, what are you doing? Stand up and walk straight. Don't you know how athletic and coordinated your father is? How dare you walk around like that? Parks do not walk like that. <laughs> you stand up. You walk straight. I mean, how ridiculous and foolish would that be? But sometimes we look at God like that, where we think that God treats us that way, where he looks at us and says, Oh, I can't believe you did that. God knows every brokenness, every sin that has been hidden. He knows it, and the Word of God reminds us that in spite of that, think about this. Isn't, this, is, this is crazy, and this is the gospel. We can come with confidence, not just like coming like, oh my gosh, ugh, I'm so sorry, God. We come confidently as his sons and daughters before his presence and say, you know everything. And yet you value me, and you love me, and so I could come. You know, there's a parallel teaching. It's not the same teaching in Luke 15, because it's two different crowds. This one is to his disciples, and then in Luke 15, if you remember, it's the trilogy, right? It's the sheep, coin, and the prodigal son. But he's speaking to more of the Pharisees in that one. But do you remember that story? Do you guys remember it? Okay. He says the 99, we, we talked about that, it's a similar story. And then he talks about the 10 silver coins. You lose one, so that's now 10% instead of 1%. And then the, the trilogy, the third part is what? The two sons. So now it's not 10% you lose, you lose 50%. Why is he doing that? Because he wants you to raise the value of the lost person. And then do you remember the prodigal son? Spends all the stuff with prostitutes, and then he comes, and then he's expecting to kind of save this, this speech, and yet from afar, what does the father do? And it's representative of the love and the pursuit of the lost sheep, or the coin, or the son, or daughter. Maybe if you've grown up in the church, you know this story, but I thought it would be nice for us to read it. In verse 20, it says this. He rose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Now think about that. What you don't see is the response of the father saying like, 
Are you serious? That's what you did? Because he's not shocked by that. Because the father knows that. He goes on, but the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand, the shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they begin to celebrate. He pursues, he runs after all of us and the lost sheep. That's how much he values it. That's point one. We can't get to point two until you rest in this. If you've grown numb to this story, you're like, Pastor John, I've already heard that. And it does not strike your heart, shame on us. That we would forget the love of God and how much it costs him to bring his son upon this earth so that we, the lost and broken sheep, would be able to have sweet fellowship that is right relationship with the Father. So don't forget that. That we are people that are the lost sheep now that have been redeemed because of the pursuit of the Father. Jesus loves me. Jesus loves you. And we cannot forget that. And he would pursue after us. The second point, I think, is the point that I want to rest and end our sermon on. If you look at Luke 15, it's not meant for the disciples. It's meant to be told to who? The Pharisees. If you've ever studied the prodigal son story, it's not for necessarily the sinner, even though there's a powerful message there. It's for the older brother. The Pharisees. The people in the religious folk who think they're better than the lost son. This is what the older brother, the response when he sees that they're having a party for the younger son. In verse 25 says this, Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what things meant, what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, stop right there. You see what he's doing there? He's cutting off relationship. They're brothers. But what does he call him? The son of yours. It's kind of like when a husband and wife and they see their son or daughter doing something foolish. It's like, look at what your, your son is doing. Look at that. That's, that's your genes. You're cutting, cutting off relationship. And that's what he's doing. He's saying, no, we, we, we're not in right standing. This is your son. He's not my brother says this, who has devoured your property with prostitution. You killed the fattened calf for him. But in verse 31, says this, he said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. 
This is point two. It's a simple parable, but I think this is really important for us. God wants us to share that passion for the lost sheep that he has. That's his desire. To not be like the older brother, but to fully embrace the heart of the father and to pursue those that are lost around us. And to go and to seek after and to make our lives about caring about the people around us. I don't know about you, but there are so many people that we pass by. And you think to yourself, man, are they going to be in heaven? Do they know Christ? Do we even care to make a difference maybe in the friends or the family members around us? We have to always check our hearts. Do we share that same heart? Because that's where the joy and the heart of our Father lies. Let's go back to verse 13 and 14 of our passage. It says this, And if he finds it truly, I say to you, the shepherd rejoices over it more than over the 99 that never went astray. So it is not the will of the Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. That's the will of the Father. That people would come to know him. And he wants us as the church to not only hoard it for ourselves, the love of God, but to share it with the people around us. I heard this story about Tony Campolo. He's a pastor. And he would frequent a diner uh, on the weekends to finish up kind of his sermon prep or to rest after a long Sunday. So Friday, Saturday, or Sunday, he would frequent the same diner. And he started to realize that there was kind of this group of three women that would show up late at night. And he saw them multiple weekends, only on the weekends. And overhearing some of their conversations, he astutely recognized that they were prostitutes in the city. And after they would finish their work, they would come and eat together. So he overheard their conversation one night, and a lady, Agnes, who he had tried to introduce himself to them, and they kind of coldly kind of was like, ah. But they, he at least got their names. Agnes shared with the other two ladies, uh, you know, tomorrow's my birthday. So the other two ladies shared, like, who cares? Like, what do you want us to do, bake you a cake? Because that's kind of their life. They don't celebrate birthdays. They finished their meal and left. So Tony Campolo, kind of hearing the voice of God, saying, like, you know, you, you need to make a difference. You need to speak, and you need to share your love and my love with them. So kind of just on conviction, he went to the chef and said, I want you to bake me a cake. Because we are going to have a birthday party for that, those three ladies tomorrow. He didn't know if they were going to show up, but he was like, you know what? If they don't show up, maybe the next day we'll bake another cake. And so he baked the cake. He paid in advance. And then everyone in the restaurant, he invited them. He said, I'm going to pay for your meal tomorrow. I want you to come. We're going to have a birthday party. They invited friends because it was like a free meal, right? And so a lot of people came. They decorated, and then they were just waiting. Eating their meal, hoping that Agnes and her two friends would walk in. And just by perchance, uh, we believe it's God, but per by perchance, they walked in. And as they walked in, the whole restaurant started to sing happy birthday. And she was like shocked, because she was like, it can't be for me. But as soon as they started finishing the song and you hear the name Agnes, she started to break down in tears. They bring the cake out, right? She blows the candles. And then she's like, can I keep the cake? 
The chef's like, yeah, that's for you. And he paid for it. So, you know, that's all yours. So Tony Campolo says that she took the cake and embraced it like it was like a baby. It started to kind of rock it because she hadn't had a birthday cake or a party in years. So she goes up to him and wants to thank Tony because she realizes that he's the one that kind of put it together. And then Tony's like, hey, you know, let me just pray for you. Do you mind if I pray for you? Say, okay, sure, yes. So he starts to pray. And he said he prayed this long prayer because in his prayer he wanted to like evangelize. He wanted to tell her to leave her life of sin and yet to tell her that he loves. So he was talking about how he prayed this long, long prayer. Talking about the gospel and he's like, hey, you need to leave this life, but God still loves you. And then he prayed this long prayer, he finished. And then when he finished, he opened his eyes and he saw her on the floor crying. She was just so moved. They, they finished the night. And the cook comes out and says, hey, I didn't know you were a preacher. I heard your prayer. You're a preacher. <laughs> what, what kind of church do you go to? As a Tony Campolo, he remembers, he's, he says, kind of the Holy Spirit was speaking to him, and he said, I go to a church that throws parties for the lost. And I want you to come with that same heart if you want to come to our church. We throw a lot of parties for things, don't we? And they're elaborate things. And it's not bad. Like I went to a tour yesterday or like a first birthday. It was fancy. It was super nice. And it was wonderful to celebrate that. And it's a wonderful thing to have, you know, your son or daughter make it to one year old and to know the blessing of that. But how much more should we celebrate and throw parties? Because here in the passage, it reminds us in Luke 15 that there is a party in heaven, right? For every soul, there is this huge party. They're having the biggest bingo game ever. They're going crazy. We had bingo last night at a Christmas party, so if you don't know what I'm talking about. They're enjoying the fact, celebrating, that there is joy because one person would come to faith. What kind of church are we going to be? Are we going to be a church that just celebrates the good things just that are here? And forget the heart of God? Or are we going to be people that recognize that we are that lost sheep and to go and reach out to someone that is in your life that needs Jesus? You know, I came to the church because I had a few people that just reached out to me. I didn't grow up in a, a home that was really so Christian. My father got saved really late in life. But I had a few people who reached out to me. I, I, I know Pastor Steve kind of gets embarrassed by this, but he was one of the guys that reached out to me. He was my youth pastor, if you don't know. And I remember uh, he kind of tricked me because he used basketball to get me into the church because I like basketball. So he's like, hey, you should come play basketball. We have this basketball thing. I was like, all right, cool, we'll play basketball. And then he was like, yeah, I want to meet with you. And I remember he would come uh, to my junior high and he would bring breakfast and we would have quiet time together. I was like, this is weird. <laughs> uh, why is this man coming to have, he's bringing breakfast. But it was like people like that, that just would go out of their way to share the love of Christ. And I bet you if you look back at your own personal journey, you have people like that who just cared enough to go out of their comfort zone to care for you, to value you, and to love you.
I firmly believe that if we forget this, that we are not being the church, the bride of Christ, as he desires. So there's only one simple application from this passage. Our staff is going to pass out business cards. Okay? It's, it's, it's just a simple reminder. In 2017, I want to challenge every single one of you in this room. I want you to think about one or two people that you need to love, that God has already placed in your life. And maybe God has been prodding you to try to reach out to them. You know who they are. Or maybe you don't know and you need to pray about it. But I want to challenge you. Take this business card. On the back of it, I'd like for you to write the name of one or two people. That you can say, you know what, in 2017, I want to pray for them. I want to love them. I want to invite them to church. I want to just be in their life to care and value and love them. Even if it costs me something. And then keep it in your car. The best place, uh, you know, in your wallet. You know how the wallet has that space where you could put your driver's license? I'm going to put it there. So instead of my ugly face, I'm going to put the name of the person. So every time I open it, I could look at it and say, man, I need to pray for that person. So I want to challenge you. Take a minute. Just a simple reminder to say, you know what, God, I want to love someone and value them as much as you do. So take a minute. Take a card. Fill it out. Keep it with you. And hopefully it will be a reminder for you to share the love of the Father. Let me say a prayer for us as we close our time. God, we just thank you. This simple parable, God, has so much gravity. God, it reminds us of how much you pursue us and you love us in spite of all of our iniquities and all of our shortcomings. We thank you first that your love is steadfast for us that your mercy and your grace is there for us. It's renewed each and every day for us. So we thank you for that. But I know your calling is never to just hoard that sort of love, but to share that with the world around us. It's not easy. It makes us uncomfortable. It's another step or another thing that we need to worry about. But God, give us that sort of eyes and heart that we would take the next, really the necessary steps and measures to be a light in this dark world. We ask for your help in this, Lord. We commit these people that we've written their names on this card. It's a simple gesture, but I pray that it would be a commitment for us to really pray for them and to care for them. And would you be in the midst of all of that, Lord? We thank you. And in your name we pray. Amen.